Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. Can we thank Nick Gonzalez? Man, he served us well and been a huge part of the vessel, so thanks, Nick. You know, it's, it's one thing that I've learned getting into ministry is just the body grows and changes, and, and that's always hard, but I've learned to become really grateful for, to see the Lord send people out of here. And we've had families that have been a part of the vessel and then moved away and moved to Houston and moved to Nashville and moved all over the place, and I've just been grateful to know and, and to see the Lord growing every one of us and, and calling us out to a new place so that we can continue to be used uh, for his kingdom and his glory. And, and we're the recipient of those as well, man. Many of y'all in the room have arrived and landed at this place coming from a local church that, that loved and shaped and served and sharpened you really well. And so I'm just so grateful for that. Um, and so thank you, Nick, for doing that. And, and let's uh, continue to just pray for Nick and to pray for the Lord to continue to bring people here to serve, even if it's for a season or even if it's for uh, many years. So thank you, Nick. Um, so we've been, if I don't know you, my name is Jake and I'm the lead pastor here at The Vessel. And so if you're online through Church at Home, thank you for joining us. That ministry has been really great and fruitful and especially with COVID spiking and being what it is right now, we're grateful for those who are online. So I wanna encourage you to take a moment to say hello, uh, to welcome those who are online and let us know that you're here. Um, It's hard to believe that we're already week three into January, which feels like it feels we're way into new year. But then I I remember, man, we're not even a month removed from Christmas and Christmas Eve and the end of last year because it feels like we've moved way beyond that and and we've come a long way from that. And so as we started this semester uh, as, as a church, we've really tried to cast vision and spend the month of January uh, just sharing our hearts with you about where we feel like the Lord is calling us and what he's feeling, what he's calling us to do this year. And so um, I just, we introduced a couple of weeks ago, this idea of build and, and our elders and some of our leaders had got together and prayed at the end of 2021 and coming into 2022, what it was that the Lord was calling us to do. And so we really felt like what God is calling us to do here at the vessel is to build this church. And so uh, build biblically is defined as to build, establish, or cause to continue. And so we have, we've been talking through that, what that looks like. So there's a few things that are coming up this month that I want you to be aware of. Uh, One, we talked about giving. And so if you consider the vessel your home and, and you give and you gave in 2021, you're gonna be having a giving statement, a year in giving statement come to you in the next couple of weeks. And so if you, and, and our elders, we don't see who gives what, but we have a uh, uh, accounting team and they will send it out to you via email. So if you gave in 2021, be looking in the next uh, few weeks for that to hit your account and so you know. And then if you want to participate in, in the ministry of the vessel through giving, uh, you can do that online, you can do that through text to give, or you can give on Sunday morning. So there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, the other thing I want to tell you in this kind of context of build is that on January 28th, that's a Friday, that's the last Friday this month, we're going to be having a, a vessel family gathering um, on Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, we're going to send out a reminder this week if you haven't rsvp for that. It's going to be a dinner, and this is for people that consider the vessel their home. If you're new and you're not sure or you're just visiting um, and you want to come, sure, but if you call the vessel your home, 
uh, we really want to encourage you to be there and come to this. So it's going to be Friday night, 7 to 9 p.m. We're going to feed you. We're going to talk a little bit about the vision, what it means more deeply uh, to build and kind of some things that are going to be coming up this year. And so we want everyone to be there. Um, we're going to, we'll send out a link again this week with an updated location uh, of where we're going to be having it. So uh, Friday, January 28th, please make time. We're going to have child care provided. It'll be great. So <clears throat> those are two things I want to give you as we started. Um, and so as we kind of get in this new year, like for me, one of the things that marks as a parent of elementary and a middle schooler, um, it, my life has a long time been marked by, by the school season. Even before we had kids, my wife and I, Shay, we were both uh, teachers. I was a teacher and a coach. And so the start back to school, the beginning of the new semester definitely feels like a marker for this next season. <clears throat> and so one thing for me that uh, feels that is, is basketball season. So when I was, even before we had kids, I was a, a, a coach, a middle school coach. And so winter and coming back to the new year is basketball season. And I love coaching football, but I love, love, love coaching basketball. And so if you hear my voice right now, my voice is shot because I'm coaching my third graders boys basketball team. And I do a lot of yelling at the kids during that. And so they had their first game on Saturday and I'm yelling at them. I'm not yelling at them. I mean, I'm definitely yelling at them, but I'm not yelling at them if that makes sense. So uh, I'm yelling at them and Keller, my son is like, dad, what's wrong with your voice? I'm like, it's a coaching voice, you'll, you'll find it. And so when I was coaching middle school, I used to, I inherited this, um, this great coaching technique from my uh, father-in-law who is, going to have his 800th win this season as a head basketball coach. Amazing. So I inherited this and it's the, it's the foot stomp. It's the, it's the foot stomp. And I inherited that from Barry Boren. And when I coached middle school, I used to stomp my foot and yell at the players. Um, but I've cut that out of my repertoire for third graders. I don't want to look too angry yelling at them. And so uh, we had our first basketball game on Saturday. They don't keep score. We do. We won 24-13. So we have six weeks of this. So on the next six Sundays, if my voice is shot, it's because I've been yelling at third grade boys. And during the game, um, so second half, they switch sides and they go the opposite direction, which is really hard for them, especially first couple games. So right at the beginning of the second half, this one of our players who's never played basketball before, who did awesome, our kids did awesome, he starts going the opposite way. And I'm about to lose it. I'm yelling. I'm like, no, no, go back. I want to go out there and block his shot. But I didn't. And the, the rest stopped him before he really made one of those blunders. But so forgive my voice. Uh, Shay Shay got me some water. So uh, I'm sorry for that. So as we start this new semester, as basketball season is upon us, and as we talk about building, um, this is what we feel like the Lord is calling us to do this year. And, and, and to, to really be honest and open about this is who God wants us to be. And this is what he wants us to give ourselves to this year is to build this church. And scripture is full of this idea of building, what it looks like to partner with God. And so we, we introduced the first week in Psalm 127. And if you've never read that Psalm, it's five verses long. It's really short. And it's this beautiful Psalm about God partnering with his people to build and to build his church. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 14 and talked about this, this image of Jesus saying about this foundation and building upon a foundation. And so uh, this morning, we're gonna be in Nehemiah chapter four and chapter five. And if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, it's in the Old Testament. You can go ahead and if you've got your Bible to flip there, we're gonna jump around a little bit, which 
admittedly isn't my favorite thing to do in teaching, but I want to give you a little bit of background of Nehemiah, not just biblically, but contextually for here at the vessel. When the vessel became a church, when we became a church um, and came out of Austin Christian Fellowship, the Lord used Nehemiah to really give us that last push over the edge. We knew God was doing something. We could tell he was at work. We weren't sure what that was. We felt like he was calling us out. We talked about being called out into deeper waters, being called out as a body. And so as we began that process, the Lord used Nehemiah to give us that last push over the edge of confidence. And so during that time and that season, we were really praying about what is this? Lord, what are you doing? Who do you want us to become? And so we began reading through some of our leaders and me particularly, I began reading through Nehemiah and it spoke so powerfully to me. And Nehemiah is about Nehemiah. It's a man that's called by God to go and to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been torn down, left in ruins. God's people are scattered. They are homeless. They don't have this place that the Jewish people no longer have Jerusalem. It's been destroyed and so God calls Nehemiah, he's, he's in Persia with Art, King Artaxerxes, and he allows him to go to gather God's people to rebuild the wall and to rebuild this city. And it's truly a book about building, about God calling his people to build. So during that time, the Lord spoke powerfully to us. And so I was reading through Nehemiah, it was so rich. And I was like, Lord, what are you calling us to do? Like, what are you, are you calling us to build something new? And so I went to this prayer, I went to this uh, weekend prayer gathering. I don't know if you've ever been to a, uh, one of these. It's, it's wacky, to say the least, but it was great. And so we were worship and prayer, and they had these, these, these um, women that would pray over you. And they weren't particularly women, but they were. And they had two kind of groups of these. Each group has, had five women in it, and you could schedule a time, and it was for pastors, you to go and to have these women pray over you. And I felt really uncomfortable and unsure about that. That was way outside my comfort zone. And so, but uh, an encouragement of somebody, I signed up to go and have these women pray over me. And so you walk into the room, um, I recorded it. They, you know, they say, if you wanna record our time of prayer for your own, you know, just for yourself, you can record it. So I, I recorded it and they don't ask you any questions. It's really just a blank slate. And so I said, we're just gonna pray. They kind of tell you, we're gonna pray over you. We may lay hands on you and just pray for you. And if the Lord gives us something, you know, we wanna share that with you. And so these women start praying for me and I'm kind of, you know, like you're praying and you're like looking around like, okay, these gals are praying for me. And, and they're kind of praying silently and, you know, Lord just bless this, this pastor. And so as they start and they start in about 10 minutes in, this woman looks at me and she says, I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but the Lord keeps putting Nehemiah on my heart for you and to be praying Nehemiah over you. She's like, does that make any sense? I'm like, yes, it does. Yes, it does, because that's where I've been. And so the Lord just really used Nehemiah to call us out as a church in a time that we really were unsure, but it was evident that the Lord was building something. So as we got called out, if you, if, you know, if you know anything about our church and the foundation of our church, our church is Vessel Collective Church. That's the name of our church. But our actual legal name, because Vessel is actually a DBA, a doing business as, our legal name is Nehemiah 218 Ministries. It comes from Nehemiah chapter two, verse 18, that says, and the, Nehemiah gathers people, and at the end it says, and so they began this good work. 
And so they began this good work. And so God used Nehemiah. We taught through our very first series through Nehemiah. And so it's interesting that we are kind of full circle back at this as God's calling us to build this year. And so what we're gonna look at, particularly in Nehemiah, we're just gonna be here this week and we're gonna be bouncing around a little bit between chapter four and five, is we're gonna be looking at opposition. The opposition that we face when we do the will and the work of God. As God's people, as a church, what opposition looks at. The last two weeks have been, I can be really guilty of this. Uh, and especially as a coach, it has felt very kind of rah-rah, like halftime pep talk, like let's go, now's the time, let us fight. And I don't wanna be so short-sighted for this build series to just be a flash in the pan. Like, man, this really got us amped up and ready to start the year, but like maybe a New Year's resolution or something like that falls off the table once we get to March or, you know, down the road. Is that truly to believe this is beyond just a rallying cry for us, but it's really what God's called us to do. When I was in high school, I, Orangefield High School, I went to this little 3A school that was a wonderful school and I loved it, but we were not any sort of football powerhouse. And so I played football and, and every year that our team would talk about winning state, every year it would start like, we're gonna win state this year. We're going undefeated. It was real rah-rah. And the whole time I'm thinking, no, we're not. Like we're not winning state. We're not close. We've never been there. We can barely make the playoffs. We're not winning state. And so I, I struggle with that because it always felt like, man, we're gonna do this amazing thing. We're gonna win. We're gonna be undefeated. We're gonna win state. And then our first game we lose and you're like, wow, like that feels really deflating because now we're not gonna win state. And sure enough, uh, we did not win state. But I don't want this to be that for us. I don't want to be just like, man, God, we're gonna build. It's exciting, this is wonderful, only to fizzle out. And so why it's important to talk about opposition is to realize is that we face a very real enemy. And the work that God has called us to do is worth it and is valuable and matters for the sake of eternity and for the kingdom of heaven, for his church, for our community, for our families, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, the people that are in our lives, it's that heavy. But to also realize that, that we come up against an enemy, an opposition that is gonna fight us tooth and nail every step of the way. And so I wanna pray and then we'll jump in and I'll tell you where we're gonna be and we'll, we'll just look at a few things what opposition looks like. Lord, we thank you so much God, that you promised to build your church on the rock and the foundation of who you are. Lord, we thank you that you call us to partner with you in that. I thank you that we of the vessel have said yes to what you want us to do. Uh, and I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to give us clarity and direction and vision into that so that we know what that looks like, what to say yes to. God, I pray for evidence of that as we continue to march along, as we continue to build, that you continue to put the right pieces in place and that we see fruit of our hands and fruit of our labor and evidence of you working. I pray, Lord, that this isn't just a flash in the pan, that this is truly a new chapter for our church, that we can look back at the journey that we've walked with you as a body of Christ and we can look at this season, this time as pivotal for what you're doing in your kingdom and here in your church. God, would you humble me and activate the very little gifts and skills that I have, God, and break that, multiply it, and use that for your will and your kingdom. We invite you to speak to our hearts now in your name that we pray, amen. 
So I want to look at, there's kind of three things I want to look at. And I mean, we could spend a lot of time in Nehemiah and talk about opposition, but we're going to read through a few different pieces uh, of what that looks like. And I'll kind of give some context before. So at the beginning of chapter four, Nehemiah has been called. He's left, he's, he's left Persia, he's left King Artaxerxes. He's been, he's come to Jerusalem and he's found God's people scattered. He's found them threatened. He's found them opposed. He's found them scared. And he's found God's city, Jerusalem, destroyed. And this wall that's been, that's been destroyed, a wall mattered for them because it was a sign of protection. And so Nehemiah first evaluates. He goes around, he evaluates, he looks at the wall and the job that's required of him. And he knows what God's calling him to do. And again, in chapter two, he calls God's people and says, this is what we are to do. We are to rebuild this wall. We are to build this city for the kingdom and for God's glory so that God's people can have a home, so that we can thrive and we can grow and God can build something here. And so at beginning, beginning kind of three and four, he begins this process of building. And so at the beginning of chapter four, they immediately run up against their first opposition. It's this guy named Sambalat, S-A-M-B-A-L-L-A-T, Sambalat. And if that's not like the, it's like the perfect bully name. I don't know if you've ever been bullied in your life or you're in middle school now and you're being bullied. Your bully's name might be Sambalat because that is, and, and it might be their middle name. You don't know it's, it's Rick Sambalat Smith or whatever. Forgive Rick Smith. I don't know who that is. So beginning chapter four says this, when Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, this is God's people, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, because every bully needs a good sidekick, right? So Tobiah, the Ammonite, was at his side and said, what are they building even a fox climbing upon it would break down their wall of stones. And this is what Nehemiah and God's people do in verse four. They pray, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So the first thing we see is opposition looks like the voice of ridicule. That opposition looks like the voice of ridicule. Verse one says, when Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was incensed and he ridiculed the Jews. Here's the truth. Our opposition and opposition of the kingdom starts long before the work begins. Opposition of the kingdom starts long before the work begins. Sometimes the very first step that you take is the hardest. There's a level of foolishness of what are we thinking we're gonna do? Why are we doing this? There's a level of embarrassment of I can't do this, that you're gonna hear the voice of opposition. And so many times we never take that first step out of this very fear that long before we put the first stone in place, long before we even receive the calling of what God is wanting to do in our life, the opposition begins, and it sounds like the voice of ridicule. We're told that we can't. Listen to what Sambalat says here. And, and again, we can agree that this is the ultimate bully name, and he does classic bully stuff. 
Like if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, listen up, because this is what a bully sounds like right here. Verse two, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. First of all, a bully needs a crowd. Amen? A bully needs a crowd. A bully is, is when he has an audience, right? It makes all the difference for the bully. So a bully needs a crowd. So, so, so Samblat stands up and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he says these things. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Again, classic, start with an insult, right? You gotta insult them where they are. You gotta hit them where it hurts. You gotta start with the insult. What are those feeble Jews doing? He says, will they restore their wall, right? Creating doubt. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? Each question grows more and more disparaging for these people, right? Will they restore the wall? Can they do this in a day? And so what a bully does and what the enemy does in the voice of ridicule, it tears us down. Brick by brick, moment by moment, growth upon growth. It says, do you really think you can do that? Do you have what it takes? Are you strong enough? You think that's gonna happen? You can do that in a day? This thing is dead. What are you doing? And that's what the voice of ridicule sounds like. It makes us smaller while it makes the task bigger. It reminds you of what you can't do and, remind, and, and tells you how big the task is. And if we're honest with ourselves, this is why a bully has power. If we're honest with ourselves, there's some bit of truth in the ridicule, right? There's some bit of truth in the ridicule. A bully finds out something in our chink of armor of who we are to point out something that we're not good enough at, right? And there's a little bit of truth there. And there's truth even in this. It's used to intimidate us. It's used to focus on the things and the areas that we fall short. For me, and I think about my own life, I, I, you know, going into ministry, I had to overcome this. I was a teacher. I was a coach. I've, I've never been to seminary. I didn't get called by God when I was 16 years old and go to a Baptist school and then the seminary. And so I had to overcome all this. When I stepped into ministry and said yes to being a pastor, I would walk into a room full of pastors and I felt like an outcast. I realized all the things that I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't trained enough. And I knew that God would call me into this. But the enemy and even other people would use that against me. I dreaded the question when I'd be around pastors when they say, oh, well, where did you go to seminary? I'm like, University of Texas. Oh, I didn't know they had a seminary program. Like, they don't. Geography major, right? Like, I felt that. And I felt that in people of, of like, oh, well, you're not a real pastor. I'm not sure you can really do this and what this looks like. And so I, I really struggled with that. And I had to overcome that myself. And he does this to them. He said, they are feeble. Look at these feeble Jews. And that's true. They weren't well-resourced. These weren't construction workers that had all this, this ability and expertise. These were people that were living on the land that were feeble right? They were feeble. They weren't construction workers. And he would, he would tell them, he said, could it be built in a day? He said, will they finish in a day? No, it wouldn't be finished in a day. This was a large undertaking that would take months and years to rebuild this wall, right? And so there was some truth there. <clears throat> After getting into ministry, 
Uh, I remember we interviewed someone to come work at Austin Christian Fellowship and someone that was a lot more educated, a lot smarter, a lot more equipped than I was in the worldly standards. And so we began to interview them and we could ask some questions. We were sitting there and somebody asked them the question about whether, whether they're Calvinist or Arminian. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I have no idea what that means. I'm like interviewing this person and listening to their response. I'm like, mm-hmm. Like, I don't know exactly the difference between the two. And so we feel that. Right? We feel about the things that we're not. So the question is, and I mean, we can even look at the vessel and like look around us. Look at the things we're not. We're small. We meet in a gym. We don't have a building. We don't have a pastor that has some seminary degree. We don't have comfy chairs. We don't have all the things. It's easy for us to look around this room and identify that, right? And if we're not careful, the enemy can do that. So the question is, how do you fight the voice of ridicule? By focusing not on what you don't have, but what you do have. And there's only one thing that we need, and it's the Lord. How do you fight the voice of ridicule? You seek the voice of the Lord rather than the voice of ridicule. Verse four says, what do they do? He goes to prayer. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt, blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. They didn't fight back with their own insults. They didn't justify what they could or couldn't do. Immediately what God's people did in the face of the voice of ridicule is they went to the Lord because that's the one thing that they had. They had the Lord on their side. God promised that they were gonna rebuild this wall. God promised he was gonna restore his people and they stood firm on that foundation and that foundation alone. And I think for us, a lot of times we see prayer as a last ditch effort. Oh my gosh, Lord, please don't let this kid score on our own goal and stop him, right? It's a last ditch effort when we don't know what else to do. We see God's people go to prayer first. So in the face of ridicule, we go to the Lord, we go to the voice of the Lord in prayer. In Nehemiah chapter five, in chapter five, they see a different type of opposition uh, that they're faced with. As the wall begins to be, be rebuilt and they begin the work, they see this opposition that comes from within. In, in chapter five, Nehemiah five, beginning in verse five, it says, although we are the same flesh and blood, this is God's people that have brought this complaint to Nehemiah. So it's God's people within themselves. It says, although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. This is Nehemiah. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what, do you, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentiles enemy? And the truth is that opposition can come from within. And we've got to identify that and we've got to recognize that. And so here are God's people in verse five that are experiencing bondage from their fellow brother and sister, from their fellow Jew. It says, 
uh, verse five, although they are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Sometimes this is just simple mother nature. It's the brokenness of man. So we do this, we fight, we want power, we want position, and we're happy to step upon or above another person so that we can elevate ourselves. And they're experiencing this. For us as Christ followers, that doesn't just come within the church. It doesn't just come within the Christian community, us attacking and tearing one another, one another down. But this opposition from within also comes from within ourselves. That the very opposition that we face when doing the will of God, it comes within our own heart and our own mind and we are our own worst enemy. And every one of us has been there and experienced this. And a lot of what I experienced is becoming a pastor was felt that way. I looked at the things that I lacked and that I wasn't good enough. And I told myself that I tore myself down saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have these things. And every one of us has been there. A lot of times your greatest critic, your greatest adversary, your greatest opponent is yourself. We tear ourselves other down. We think these things. If someone knew me, if they knew what I've done, if they known the shortcomings, my faults, my sins, my transgressions, my insecurities, the parts of me that I'm ashamed of, if they only knew, they wouldn't accept me. No one would follow me. I can't do this. I can't be a pastor. I can't leave my family. I can't tell someone about Christ because I'm a fraud myself. And we look inwardly at our past and we look at all these things that we think disqualify us. But I want you to know that the Lord knows all those things. He knows every single one of them and he still chooses you. Despite all that, despite all your junk, all your baggage, all your background, all your shortcomings, God still chooses you. Scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, God first loved us. The love that we have between the Lord comes from him first, even while we're still sinners, even in our brokenness, that he loved you first. I want you to know that you don't have to beat yourself up. It's not your job. The Lord's not asking you to punish yourself, to evaluate your own transgressions and to assign some punishment. Don't beat yourself up. And don't forget that God's heart, and we talked about this the first week, in partnership with the Lord, God's heart for reaching a lost and broken world is through the partnership with his people, is that God chose you uh, one of our elders sent me this quote this week from Timothy Keller <clears throat> that spoke this very thing. And Timothy Keller says this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ and Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen? That despite your brokenness, despite all the things that you're not, and there's plenty, you're still chosen by God. If, Ephesians 4 says it this way, Ephesians 1, excuse me, says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He knew every sin, all your brokenness, all your shortcoming long before they were transgressed. Long before you became whatever it is you think that you are, before the foundation of the earth and he still chose you. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. When he looks at you, he does not see your faults. He sees you as holy and blameless. In love, 
He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and his will. It is God's, not only his will, it is his joy and pleasure to receive you and to choose you as you are. So I want you to know that when it comes from inside of our own selves, when we face the opposition here, to let it go, to lay it down, it's not yours to bear to put that down. And that can be a big, massive thing of this is a life I've lived. This is a secret I've been hiding. These are the dark portions of my heart that I want no one to see to something little, to something small on a week to week. And and laying down our burdens. We've seen this song, go come to the altar. Laying those down is a daily thing that a lot of the times when we come to the Lord, it's about accepting ourselves, not about getting him to accept us, but accepting ourselves but it also comes within the church. And this is classic attack of the enemy. This is, this is classic bully stuff moves. It's pitting ourselves against one another. This is what the enemy does. This is classic. It's how I play board games, right? I'm great at board games. Sellers of Catan, Monopoly, Risk, whatever else. You can ask my wife. She hates playing board games, but she loves it all at the same time. That's my board game strategy. Don't tell Shay. My board game strategy is to pit the other people against themselves. If someone like steals or charges something, I say, God, I can't believe that's really gonna hurt you. I can't believe they would do that to you. Man, that's really bad. I wouldn't charge you that. I would give you a cut, right? We, I, I like to pit the other players against one another because they can take one another out and I can just build my empire and conquer all, right? This is classic enemy stuff to pit his people against one another. And if you haven't seen that in the church in the last two years, then you're not looking, man, to divide over the silliest and stupidest, uh, most stupid, stupidest, is that a word? Yes, I should. I was a PE teacher though, so. I talked to uh, some missionaries this week that are in Nepal and Stuart, uh, who's there and serving the Lord. Uh, was talking about going and being a part of a church. And he was telling me about them getting involved with this church. And, and he said, he was telling me about how different everyone is. And they come from all these different kind of backgrounds and little versions and, of, of, of Christianity and how all the differences. I said, oh, is that a problem? And he's like, we, we can't afford to be divided over silly stuff. He's like, we can't, uh, we, we can't afford it in Nepal. There's less than 2% of people in Nepal are Christians. He's like, we can't afford that. I thought, man, that's a sad realization that we live in a place where we can afford to be divided, that we can subdivide ourselves by the things we like, by the little things and differences in our faith. Well, I believe this, and I believe this, and that you gotta be baptized by immersion. Well, you gotta be sprinkled. Well, you were baptized as an infant. That doesn't count. Well, you need to be, re- you know, like we divide over these silly stuff and we lose sight of the Lord. And this happens in the church all the time, that we live in such a hyper, watered-down Christian culture that we can afford to oppose our brother and sister in Christ. Man, that is enemy stuff, right? We see it all the time. So the question is, how do we fight the opposition that from within? We fight the opposition from within by walking in fear of the Lord. Listen to the last verse here in this section, chapter five. It says, they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in fear of our God to avoid the reproach for my Gentile enemy? That we as Christ followers have to walk in fear of the Lord. That 
if we are opposed to ourselves, if our opposition is with, from within and we oppose ourselves, we are opposed to God because God shows us and we are now standing on the wrong side of the line, ridiculing God's person. And man, when you think about it like that, it's like the walk in fear of the Lord means I'm gonna believe what God said is true before I believe what my own brokenness does. And then the last part, back to chapter four, um, as, as they build this wall and as they're halfway through, and scripture says uh, in verse 10, it says that they are having a really difficult time, that they're tired, that they begin rebuilding this wall. And verse 11 says this, is that the enemy plans an attack. And so Sam, Sambalat and Tobiah, they, they plan this attack. They're gonna attack these people that are rebuilding this wall. Verse 11 in chapter four says, also our enemy said, before they know it, or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to this work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you run, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When the enemy heard that we are aware of their plot and that the Lord had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to their own work. From that day on, half the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armors. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work in one hand and held a weapon in the other. And last thing about opposition is opposition is an attack from the enemy. That however it looks, opposition is an attack from the enemy. Make no mistake, we've talked about this every single week. We are in a battle. As Christ followers, we are in war not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of evil and darkness. In week one in Psalm 127, we looked at the language as both familial and military. In verse four, it says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This scripture that has this really familial language sees it as this military defense of our family. Last week in Luke 14, we, we saw that Jesus compared the building and what we're called to do to uh, a king preparing for war. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And then here in our scripture this week in verse 11, this is a very real and actual military opposition that they're facing. As our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to this work. So if we can acknowledge that we're fighting a real enemy, we've got to choose what we're gonna do. And I wanna say this, like we can talk about self-doubt, we can talk about ridicule. You are fighting a war in your life. And I don't wanna discredit what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. You are going through stuff that is very real and it's very difficult. And I don't wanna give the enemy too much credit, but I want you to know that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in a God and a savior that chose you, that loved you, that saved you, that gave you life, then you have to believe in an enemy. 
You don't get to believe in Jesus and not believe in the enemy. And so I want you to know that there are real things going on in your life. And I want you to give yourself credit for that. Like, man, we've lost people that we love. We, we've been put in places and situations that are painful, that are hard, that don't make sense, that we're not okay with. And I want you to know that's difficult and that the war that we fight is real and authentic. And so here's the truth. While we fight a very real enemy, we are equipped by a very powerful and very real God. Is that God is equipping us to fight the battle that lays ahead of us. And look at how God equips these people. First, he gives them supernatural insight. They're plotting and scheming against to attack these people. And remember, these people are nothing. They're not warriors. They're not military. They're not soldiers. They're not even contractors. You know, they are feeble people, as pointed out by Sambalat. And they know about the surprise attack before it comes. They get insight into that. And I want you to know that the Lord does the same for us is that we've got to be aware of what the enemy's doing around us. And you've got to listen to the people in your life. We talk about inward ministry as part of being a part of the vessel, as being in a small group, being in a discipleship relationship. You've got to have people in your life that you listen to. You listen to. Look at this scripture. It starts by saying, and our enemies said that they're gonna attack us, come and kill and put it into the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they're gonna attack you. And we need people in our lives that are doing the same thing. They realize what we're going through, what we're struggling with, we're walking through. Like, man, that's the enemy. And I wanna warn you and give people the ability and the power to warn you of what's going on in your life, right? We need to know who the iron is in our life. Who are the people that are sharpening us? And if you don't have people in your life that can't say the things that need to be said, man, you are vulnerable and you've got to allow that. Like you've got to be able to hear things that you don't want to hear. And if you surround yourself with people that are just going to tell you, oh, it's great, you're fine, no big deal, don't listen to them. We've got to be able to have people that point out to us and say, yeah, you're, you are a perfectionist and it doesn't always work that way. Or to say, yeah, I know you struggled with depression in the past and I just want you to be weary and to, to be mindful of, man, look, I see these things coming up. Or to say like, hey, you're, you're negative about this. And every time, you know, we're here, man, you're being torn down by this. And I just want to remind you, like we've got to have people that can call out those things and warn us, hey, you're under attack see things that we can't, to give supernatural insight. Look at how the Lord uh, equips them. He also, uh, he protects the most vulnerable parts. Verse 13, therefore I station the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. <clears throat> Is that the Lord equipped them to fight this battle by protecting the most vulnerable parts when we see this body of Christ, we've got to see it how the Lord sees it. First Corinthians chapter 12 says it this way. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. It's like a newborn baby. And we've got people that are brand new to their faith. And we've got to nurture and care and protect and fight for them like a newborn. You don't, you don't get around the table with a newborn baby and say, hey, 
I picked up my plate. Like, come on, man, you got to do your part. No, it's vulnerable. It needs to be cared for. And we've got to protect our most vulnerable parts. The truth is, is a growing church, a growing church is to see new believers being born and to care for them really, really well. That's what the Lord wants to do. We talk about building. We want to see God bringing people to relationship with himself to tell people the truth about Jesus, to nurture their relationship with Jesus in this new life that they have, to help sharpen them, to help mold them, to help disciple, to pour into them and to protect those lowest points in the wall and the exposed places. And the last thing he does is God equips them by putting weapons in their hand. From that day on, verse 16, from that day on, half the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armors. In verse 17, says, who are building the wall, the officers posted themselves behind all the people in Judah who are building the wall. Those who carry materials did their work in one hand and a weapon in the other. Is that the Lord equipped them and equipped his people with weapons to fight the battle. They had a tool in one hand and a sword in the other, a tool to do the work, a sword to fight the enemy. I want you to know that that's what God is gonna do. As we face opposition, we are to defend this church and defend our people from an enemy that is very real. Scripture says that his word is like a double-edged sword. If you look in Ephesians chapter six, it says that therefore put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel, a helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We gotta defend ourselves and we gotta defend one another. This will not be a place where we will tear one another down. We will fight for one another. This is not a place where we will, those people that don't know Jesus will be seen as our enemy and bad. We will fight for them and love them. Let's stand, I'm gonna pray for us. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.